Bacon, chicken, chicken, whopper, double whopper, chicken, walker, whopper, BK. I guarantee if you watch any sort of sporting event in the last two and a half weeks, maybe even two months, I don't even remember anymore. It feels like two months. If you've watched any sporting event in the last two months, I guarantee you have that jingle stuck in your head at some point, either Saturday or Sunday, watching some sort of football event, and your team's down by 30 or something like that. And that comes on, and it just grinds into your brain. Even though you don't want it there, that jingle will get stuck in your head. Burger King with a fantastic jingle. Well done by them. But please, for the love of God, stop playing it so much, okay? I'm so tired of ending my Sunday evening with that jingle being stuck in my head. It happens every week without fail. Every weekend, I'll, I will that will pop into my head at some point just because I, I was watching a game or something like that, and it just came on as an advertisement. And uh, it, that, it happened again this week. That was another one that happened on Sunday. That I think I was watching Sunday Night Football. It came on, and I just couldn't stop singing the stupid jingle Please, Burger King, I'm begging you, just stop singing the jingle. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a two-week-old version of the weekend sports. It's not old. I mean, this is the new one, but I was absent last week. I apologize for that. I got under a little under the weather, and then by the time I was back at work, which was last Thursday, I was, uh, I was too far behind. It kind of got put on the, the old podcast, got put on the back burner, but we're back. Okay, we're, we're, we're covering a bunch of different things this week. Uh, we got MLB free agency that was kind of blowing up all over the place while I was out. Uh, we have plenty of NFL news to talk about, college football to talk about, maybe a little bit of soccer as well. Uh, we're going to get into a bunch of it. Um, but first, I want to start off by um, maybe memorializing a little bit um, Mike Leach. He passed away early this morning, early Tuesday morning, uh, Tuesday the 13th, December 13th. He uh, passed away early Tuesday the 13th morning. And um, I just want to point out, uh, he, he was... Uh, a, a foundational member of what I believe to be modern day college football. I think a lot of people kind of agree with me. He kind of, he was the, the person that you can kind of point to as somebody that invented more or less, uh, more or the founding father, if you will, of the spread offense, the air raid offense, that sort of thing. Uh, we saw a lot of people before him coming around who had, they were walking around with the Denny's sized, the Denny's menu sized play play sheets that they'd cover in front of their face uh, to to show, to to make play calls on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and then you know Mike Leach comes around and he is more developing you know twenty to twenty five plays that the offense will run, but they'll run it to essentially perfection, and that's how they're going to beat everybody. And uh, he never won a national title or anything like that, uh, but he was a fantastic coach. For the most part, he coached all the way from, uh, in terms of head coaching, coached from 2000, started at Texas Tech, all the way up until 2022, which he passed away this year, uh, just this day, obviously, at Mississippi State. Mississippi State, he coached this whole entire season with Mississippi State and uh, went from Texas Tech to Washington State and then up to Michigan, uh, Mississippi State in 2020. He was at Washington State from 2012 to 2019. And a little lesser-known trivia for a lot of people, he is a Wyomingite. He went to school. His family moved around a lot when he was growing up. He was born in Suzanneville, uh, Suzanneville, California, but he actually settled. His family settled in Cody, Wyoming. He was uh, he was went to high school in Cody, Wyoming. He graduated in 1979. He played wide receiver at uh, Cody High School under uh, John McDougal, who was the longtime Cody High School head football coach there for a long time. And uh, they played in two top division state championships while Leach was a student. And they won one in 1976 in a triple overtime game against legendary coach John Deedee's Laramie Plainsman. So a little, uh, maybe a little closer to home than a lot of people realize. 
uh, Mike Leach was a uh, Wyomingite. Uh, he doesn't, you know, I don't know how often he comes back here or had come back here, uh, but he graduated Cody Wyoming or graduated from Cody High School and uh, he played wide receiver at Cody High School. That was a lot of, that was essentially the extent of his uh, playing experience. He didn't play very much. And he didn't play any sort of college football at all. The the Cody High School days were the final days of his football playing career. He had an ankle injury going into uh, college. He went to uh, BYU, Brigham Young University. And uh, he suffered an ankle injury that kept him from playing college football. He played rugby, actually, instead at BYU. And uh, he stayed close to the football program, obviously. And uh, basically began his coaching career more or less under the tutelage of uh, Lavelle Edwards. Stayed close to the to the team in BYU. Didn't really begin coaching, but he was close to the program. He began his coaching career in 1987 at Cal Poly and College of the Desert in 1988. Cal Poly in 1987. And then in 1989, he went overseas to the Pori Bears and the American Football Association of Finland in 1989. So he was coaching overseas before he got his real first, I would say more or less, first big break. Uh, he joined the Oklahoma staff in 1999. There's a little bit, you know, he wasn't in Finland from 1989 to 1999. There's a little bit more. He went bounced back and forth. He went to Iowa Wesleyan uh, as an offensive coordinator. He went to Valdosta State and then Kentucky, obviously, as well, 1997-98. But he really exploded on the scene uh, in at Oklahoma in 1999 under Bob Stoops. Uh, Bob, Oklahoma's offense after that, which ranked 11th in the Big 12 Conference in 98, improved under Leach in, 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 uh, to first in the conference in 1999. And that's really what made him explode onto the scene. They were a much better team. Uh, once once Leach got there, he was only there for one season. Then he moved on to Texas Tech. And uh, the rest is kind of history. The the air raid offense that we know today, famously know today, that we kind of see all over the sport of college football is uh, kind of the birthright of Mike Leach, if you will. And that's kind of the professional look at him. But uh, the more interesting part of Mike Leach is just everything that happened personally with him. Uh, I think everything that he does off the field, in my opinion, everything that he did off the field was a lot more interesting and a lot more fun to pay attention to. He did, you know, great things with his with his head coach as a head coach and stuff like that. Obviously, uh, not to put any disrespect on his name as a head coach or anything like that. I just think he was a very interesting person off the field as well. So I kind of got together a bunch of clips and stuff from some of my favorite moments with Mike Leach and whether it be press conferences and stuff like that, where he talks about, uh, you know, uh, wedding advice or, uh, candy corn and his Halloween candy rant, famously Halloween, uh, candy corn hater and his favorite Halloween candy, his view on Bigfoot and aliens that he got asked about, uh, during press conferences, uh, his famous intro to a sports center exclusives that we'll talk about his pirates versus Vikings debate, Basically a whole lot. Uh, who would win in a Pac-12 mascot battle? And he answers all these questions, and that was great. What was great about Mike Leach is he wouldn't want to tell you anything about his team or what was going on with his team, but on at like a, fl- a flick of a switch, a flip of a switch, he would turn and he would answer whatever ridiculous question you have, like it's the most important question he's ever gotten. He would make it in- interesting and enthralling and have an actual insightful answer to whatever it was that you wanted to talk about or whatever it was that he was asked. And he was just an odd guy. And in a world, in a, in a, in a profession like football, that is an abyss of college or of a coach speak and a lot of nothingness at press conferences, it felt like Mike Leach, you really never knew what you were going to get. And it was always something worth paying attention to. And that's why, in my opinion, he's one of the focal points of the sport, especially at the head coaching positions. He was never, you know, a Nick Saban or anything like that. He was never 
really I mean, a couple times here and there, not a whole lot over his coaching career. I mean, he coached 22 years as a head coach, essentially. Um, and I think maybe two or three times he was really vying for a championship spot, if you will. Um, but other than that, you know, eight, nine win seasons were usually typical for Mike Leach. But, uh, you know, he was never one of the guys that were going to lead his team to national championship status. It'll ha- it happened three, two or three times, I would, if I can remember correctly. Um, but it never got to that point necessarily. But he was always super interesting, which is why he was always a very good focal point for the coaching profession. I think more coaches should strive to be like Mike Leach just because of how approachable he was as a person. And um, the loss at 61 years old for Mike Leach at, at, in 2020 and the age of 61 uh, earlier Tuesday morning was a big loss. Um, I, I enjoyed listening to Mike Leach talk. I thought he was very insightful with a lot of things he talked about, but it was also felt like the type of person you could go to and literally just talk about anything, which is what a lot of these clips are about. So we're going to listen to some of these Mike Leach clips. And a lot of these just make me happy. We're going to start with one of my favorites, uh, Mike Leach talking about who would win in a Pac-12 mascot battle when he was the head coach of Washington State. Here you go. Well, first of all, what kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We've got to consider that. I'm going to say the Wildcat's out. Uh, the Trojan, is he? does he have a horse or is he on foot? Does he have a bow and arrow or just his sword? Uh, the Bruin, definitely formidable. Um, uh another bear up there at Cal. Uh, the tree, I imagine that tree's going to get chopped down. Um, or it's unless we're going to go with the bird and somebody might get pecked or something. I don't know. And then um, the duck. The duck might lose interest and just fly away and get out of there, which may be good advice under the circumstances. Uh, the husky, no chance. Uh, the beaver, well, we'll see how long that beaver can hold his breath. Um, the uh, the Ute again. We're back to uh, is he on horseback? Does he have a bow and arrow? Did he trade for a rifle? I mean, you know, because if that Ute's got a rifle, there's some definite problems. And then um, <clears throat> and uh, and you know, you'd have to get one of those Harry Potter activists to read up on how you kill a sun devil because there's a lot of. Uh, outside stuff there um just as far as a beast alone uh a buffalo is going to be pretty hard to tangle with i mean a, bu- a buffalo's d- utterly outstanding well but butch butch is going to have to be clear-minded and crafty i mean butch will butch will find a way there's no question the cougar will find a way uh clear-minded and crafty a combination of stay out of harm's way and and uh, and attack when you get your uh, your chances or your openings. I love that he just approaches that that entire question like he's talking about he's talking about the uh, the the animals as if they are recruits more or less. Uh, they're crafty, outstanding. Uh, the Sun Devil, who knows what they got? You know, Buffalo, utterly outstanding. Uh, Mike Leach just doing what he does best, just answering the question as if it was a normal question to be asked. Any other, co- almost any other coach that you approach in that situation, they're just going to laugh you off. Who cares? Mike Leach is going to sit there and talk to you about it because it's fun to talk about. And I appreciated that about Mike Leach. This one also pretty fun. Uh, he had wedding advice for Alyssa Lang, who was on the sideline, and uh, this is literally right after a game. Uh, they're they're on they're after a game. They're on the field. 
And this, he was approached about wedding advice for Alyssa Lang, who was getting married at the time. Here's this one. I know you have strong thoughts on weddings. Um, I'm in the middle of planning one right now. Do you have you any are? advice for me? Who yeah. are you marrying? His name is Trevor. Okay, yeah, well, <clears throat> I'll have to you set up a meeting and I'll talk to him. Um, okay, so uh, where's Trevor from? He's from Florida. What does Trevor do for a living? He works in sports as well, covers football. He does what? He covers football as well. Really? Well, I don't know. We'll keep a close eye on it, but whatever you and Trevor decide, I would kind of keep it on the down low, which you failed to do that. Trevor was probably planning to, but you didn't. Uh, so go ahead and uh, uh, don't, don't say anything else about it, but as soon as the season's over, or even an off week, go elope. Trust me on that. Go elope. Because uh, basically every female in the family is going to terrorize you guys until it's over. Once it's over, I mean, they'll be upset for a few days, but it'll be over. And then, you know, you cruise away, uh, along, have a happy marriage, have a happy life. I'll pass along the message. Thanks, Coach. Congrats okay. on the win. Trevor, unless he's crazy, is totally on my side. And trust me on this. <clears throat> if Trevor doesn't uh, have the sense to do that, Tell him to call me because, I mean, he needs to do trust. I've told all my kids, I'll give you $10,000 extra if you elope. So far, they haven't done it, but I would, too. I'll have him call you for sure. Big elopement guy, Mike Leach was. There you go. That's that's Mike Leach on his wedding advice to Alyssa Lang as she was about to get married. Uh, congrats to Alyssa Lang, obviously. I wonder. I'm not sure if she followed that advice. I have no idea. Um but that was uh, one of one of uh, Mike Leach's great moments as well. Uh, we also have here Mike Leach, uh, probably one of my favorite clips as well. His uh, hatred for Candy Cord kind of spilled over in this post game interview. I don't remember which game this was. I don't have it in front of me. Um, but this is also after a game as well. Looks like they were playing Vandy in this game just by looking at the helmets in the background here. Uh, he went on to talk about his hatred for candy corn and his favorite Halloween candy. Talked about on the broadcast how you hate candy corn. What's your favorite Halloween candy? corn. I mean, I completely hate candy corn. Uh, <laughs> uh, when I was a kid, well, gummy bears, let's see. Uh, gummy bears for sure. Sour or regular? Uh, um, the, the, the hair bow. It's got to be the hair bow ones. And then uh, the other thing I like is uh, is when they used to have the, the uh, sprees in a box. Outstanding. You have to go to the dollar store to find it, but I do. And then the latest, the, the latest, you know, there's still candy innovation, although a while back I found that Europe had better candy than we did overall because <laughs> they have gummy everything. And then, uh, but uh, um, the... Uh, you know, they have those Nerds Clusters, which is new. With the gummy. Yeah, which is good. The Nerds Clusters is good. And then if you go chocolate, uh, probably Almond Joy. Love it. Hopefully you'll get some of that next week. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Thanks, Coach. All right, thank you. Just a fantastic minute there in a post-game press conference about his favorite uh, type of candy, Almond Joy. An interesting choice. Not necessarily my favorite, but Coach, the more the merrier to you. Uh, and, and as we continue to kind of praise his greatness off the field specifically just because I think it was so much fun to listen to Mike Leach uh, Mike Leach talk we're going to kind of round it out here with the second to last clip the first one's a lot or the the last clip's a lot shorter just kind of a a, a final cherry on top to kind of uh, shine a light on who we who he really was uh, but this clip here he is debating he was asked 
whether pirates or Vikings. This is this is a po- this is a press conference, ladies and gentlemen. This is a question that was asked to him in a press conference, not because they see it as a reporter or anything like that, sees it as a joke or anything. They just know Mike Leach is willing to go down this rabbit hole with whatever the reporter is asking and just talk about whatever they want to talk about. And this, a, a classic one here, pirates versus Vikings debate. Mike Leach, take it away, sir. You say you have to go with the Vikings in the cold weather. If it's at sea, you have to go with the pirates because, of course, they have cannons and everything. Well, now the hot weather on one of those islands, because they did find their way south. I mean, you know, they, they believe the Vikings went clear down to Italy. As a matter of fact, I've read where the Vikings were trying to go to Rome. They're trying to go to Rome, and they made it almost to Rome and sacked a smaller city because the Roman Empire was in decline at this point. You could almost see them joining forces because the Vikings were a group that would go down those rivers, and it wasn't just like, well, you know, the only place we can live is Norway or somewhere. I mean, they'd go down those rivers all throughout Europe, and uh, if they liked it better where they ended up, they might raid the place first, but if they liked it better better where they ended up, they'd stay. They go, oh, this is nice. This is a nice place. Oh, and by the way, oh, yeah. You know, the people that live here, they seem nice. Uh, and, well, maybe I can marry one of their daughters. You know, I mean, it would be like that, you know. So they just stay. And then, um, and then, uh, then, of course, some of them would find their way back to Norway, and so it went. But, um, yeah, I could see them joining forces. It would be, it, 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 it would be nice to see them, um, you know, just for the sake of competition, get in a, and a nice battle maybe on one of the Caribbean islands and get after it, you know? Well, that's a great question. Pirates get better gear. Pirates get better gear and better weather. You know, Vikings, you'd have a little better home life, it seems. You know, you you could still go back and, you know, if you didn't get killed, you could go bounce the kids around once you got back home with, you know, whatever you hoisted out of Scotland, Wales, and Ireland, you know? That's a that's a tough call. Yeah, I'd have to. Plus, they're generations apart. You know, uh, it'd be fun to do a little bit of both. A nice little two minute rant on who would win over Vikings or Pirates. He's thinking maybe they could team up. Who knows? In Mike Leach's mind, they're thinking they can team up, and that's a beautiful place to live. In Vikings and Pirates teaming up against uh, whoever they come across. That would be very fun as well. This last clip I want to play for you here. It's a quick one. It's only about 15 seconds long, maybe even less than that. Um, it's his intro. So this is uh, to kind of preface this. He is uh, his team, Washington State at the time, as he was head coach of. They were taking on USC. A huge win. Both teams were ranked at the time. Uh, and Washington State beat USC, who was higher ranked at the time. And uh, Washington State was at home. And uh, they, they just beat USC. A big ranked win for the program, for uh, this team, looking to try to make a push for a championship scenario or something like that. And uh, they think he's got a fantastic, fantastic win over USC. And uh, they brought him on to Sports Center on like a, you know, a video conference or whatever, you know, a video interview, if you will. And uh, this is how the legendary Mike Leach intros his interview on Sports Center. Coach, heck of a win. What's it like there right doing? now? It's a good win. There's a lot of people. It's like Woodstock, except everybody's got their clothes on. <laughs> Just a truly fantastic way to intro an interview. Mike Leach does it better, did it better than 
everyone. Uh, one of my favorite personalities in all of sports. One of my favorite people in all of sports. Uh, sadly gone at the very, very way too soon age of 61. Uh, he leaves a legacy that's hard to touch behind both in off the field, what he did off the field, as well as on the field. His coaching tree is uh, very solid as well. You see guys around that are, you know, uh, huge influences on the game that come from Mike Leach, Dave Aranda at uh, at uh, Baylor, Art Bryles, which, you know, we don't really talk about him no more, but a, a big mind of football that comes from him as well. Sonny Dykes, Dana Holgerson, the coach at Houston, uh, Ruffin McNeil, who coached East Carolina for a long time. Lincoln Riley as well uh, was one is, that uh, coached under under Mike Leach as well and a bunch of others. Just Those are just to name a few. So he leaves a legacy on the field as well as well as off the field. So uh, my thoughts go out to his family, his friends, of course, gone at the age of 61 uh, way too soon. Um, seamless transition. Uh, we're going to talk a little college football. The Heisman was announced recently. Uh, this was last week, and I believe it was on Saturday. Uh, the Saturday without football, or I guess the Army-Navy game, that was on as well. But uh, other than that, not a lot of football was going on, uh, at least in Division One games. And we had the Heisman the Heisman presentation, I guess is what it should be called. The Heisman tre- presentation going on on Saturday as well. Uh, I just, the only quick note I want to make, Caleb Williams definitely deserved it. Uh, this was probably maybe one of the weaker, uh, you know, maybe more of a toss up, I guess not weaker. Weaker is probably the wrong term. Uh, more of a toss up, I would say for the Heisman the last few years. It feels like we've had a lot of runaways when it comes to the Heisman, where it felt like, you know, the odds for the winner were completely you know one-sided for the one person that we all knew was going to win this year is a little more jumbled i would say caleb williams maybe pulled away with it in the latter you know latter third of the season maybe uh but that loss against utah maybe put some questions in a lot of people's minds that second loss utah put a lot of questions in people's minds maybe maybe somebody maybe like max duggan from tcu sneaks in somehow and takes it cj stroud who plays for ohio state had a great season maybe he takes it as well uh, a lot of a lot of questions but you know rightfully deserved caleb williams takes it uh the only note i want to make about the whole heisman presentation to be honest with you why do they do that why they they make it such a it's a, it's an announcement. The thing that frustrates me the most, man, and it's kind of the same thing with a lot of award shows uh, nowadays. They have a separate award show for college football that the Heisman has its own. I think it's the next weekend uh, or, you know, over the next few days. Saturday is the Heisman, I think, over the, you know, over the over the Thanksgiving holiday or something like that. Or not even that, even more recently uh, nowadays. But they have a separate award show for other college football uh, awards that they give out, you know, the, the Maxwell, the Ben Nark and, you know, all the others that I'm, I'm blanking on off the top of my head, but basically best wide receiver, best quarterback, you know, all the other ones, best player in the, in the NCAA, that's not the Heisman winner. Uh, they have an award show for all those, but they don't give the Heisman away at that award ceremony. They give the Heisman away at a separate award ceremony on Saturday. And all those, that, that one award show that has all the other awards, I think is a couple days earlier in the week or something like that. If I can remember correctly, um, I, it's just frustrating to me because it's literally an announcement. That's all that's happening. That's the only important thing that's happening in that Heisman presentation. And they take up an hour block of time for it. It doesn't need to be that long. Just 30 minute show. Bing, bang, boom. It's strictly, I mean, it really is an hour long, strictly for the advertisers. 
in a world that we live in today with Twitter, where we really don't need anything that that is that is really that long, any sort of award ceremony. And that goes for all the other award shows as well. The Oscars, the Grammys, what have you, anything else. It's just it's so long for essentially no reason. This is why a lot of people aren't paying attention to award shows anymore, because it's so much easier just to find the winners on Twitter or on the Internet or something like that. And for it to be, I think the Heisman is maybe the worst version of that, where it's literally one award one single award. Imagine if they made an hour long production for just the best picture at the Oscars. That would suck. And that's essentially what ESPN and college football is doing for the Heisman. They're making an hour long segment of television for one award that they're giving out. It's just so it's just puffed and it's just annoying because you have to sit there for the full hour or like every other person, you just click off and wait for it on Twitter and then you look at it on Twitter and then you can just skip the whole thing. You don't have to watch an hour long piece of programming for something that's announced in the last 10 minutes. You know, it's just frustrating. I hate, I hate the way they do the Heisman and uh, I, I appreciate how they do the other awards because they kind of cram like, you know, seven or eight or however many awards into an hour long segment. I like that a little bit more just because, you know, at least it's entertaining. At least I could figure out who the winner is have a little bit of time to process it. Then we move on to the next award. It's just quick. It's a not a lot nicer and it's a lot more interesting and fun to watch that way than having to sit through a slog of an hour to wait for one announcement. That was just frustrating. But congrats to Caleb Williams. Definitely deserves it. Uh, he's gonna be he's gonna be a quarterback at the next level almost certainly. I think he can. I think he might be coming back to USC for an extra year too. I think he has to, if I remember correctly. Um, so he'll be there at USC for another season as well. So maybe back to back. Who knows? Possibly back to back. I don't think anybody's ever won back to back. Heisman trophies. I don't think I, I don't think I can remember off the top of my head. Maybe Herschel Walker when he played for Georgia possibly did that, but I don't remember off the top of my head. I don't think he did. He could become the first back-to-back uh, national or uh, Heisman Trophy winner uh, that we've ever had. So we'll see. Uh, he's good enough to do it, obviously, and he's in an offense that is definitely good enough to do it under Lincoln Riley. So we'll see what happens with Caleb Williams there. We also have the college football playoff that's coming up because I missed last week. I forgot to talk about that. Uh, number one, Georgia will take on number four, Ohio State. That should be a good game. That's coming up on New Year's Eve. They also have, I mean, they have a long time in between games. I also don't love how they do their playoff. I mean, you're talking about a month, essentially, of uh, important, I mean, bowl games, sure, but even the bowl games are becoming obsolete. We've talked about that before. The bowl games, really, they don't mean anything anymore. So I don't really count them, to be honest with you, as important football games. Unless it's your team, then obviously, sure. Uh, but I, I don't, you know, uh, unless you have some sort of betting reason to watch those games, uh, the regular bowl games, then a lot of people aren't just tuning in to watch them. Um, but regardless, Georgia will be taking on Ohio State, number one Georgia versus number four Ohio State. That's going to be an interesting game. I think Georgia kind of has a lot of the same makings as Michigan, where they kind of just have the guys that will beat you down and not let you back up. And uh, Ohio State, unless they've learned their lesson, that seemed to have been a problem when they took on Michigan. Um, unless they learn their lesson, maybe they can run the table here against Georgia. It's definitely one of, you know, if I'm Georgia here, I'd much rather take on TCU than Ohio State, obviously. But we'll see what happens. Uh, speaking of the other game, Michigan, number two, Michigan taking on number three, TCU. Tough draw for TCU. They've kind of battled their way through a bunch of one score games all year long, one at the buzzer all year long, that sort of thing. Uh, they, you know, did it successfully, didn't win the Big 12 championship, but I mean, they were undefeated up until the Big 12 championship and they kind of already bought their ticket in, if you will. But Michigan feels like that's going to be too much. Once they, once Michigan steps on your neck and they're not letting up, that's kind of the team they've been all season long. And that kind of feels like it's going to, it feels like that's the way it's going to go here. And I think Michigan should probably beat TCU pretty handily that Michigan's going to be better than any team that TCU has seen this year by far. 
Um, but we'll see what happens as well in that one. TCU, who knows? Upset time. Ohio, I feel more of uh, more confident on an upset pick in the Ohio State versus Georgia game, obviously, because it feels like Ohio State, I mean, they have C.J. Stroud, who, I mean, you know, TCU does have Max Duggan, don't get me wrong, who has had a terrific year. C.J. Stroud kind of feels that they've got maybe a little bit better outside guys as well. Marvin Harrison Jr. is probably the best wide receiver in the sport right now, or in uh, college football right now outside for Ohio State. So if they figured out a way to play more physical Ohio State, uh, kind of match up with Georgia physically, uh, which I don't think they have. I still think Georgia can probably will more than likely win this game rather handily. Um, but we'll see. Uh, you know, Georgia, I think, should, I, in my opinion, Georgia and Michigan are the two best teams without a doubt in college football this year um, from top to bottom, beginning to end. I think these two teams, those two teams, number one and number two, are probably the 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 two teams that deserve to be in the in the in the national championship game and uh, have kind of you know shown it all all season long as the last two uh, remaining undefeated teams in the sport this season so we'll see what happens there that's coming you know a long way from now uh, December thirty first are the playoff games so we got a long wait uh, we'll see what happens in those games in the national championship I think it's the sixth or January sixth or January seventh if I remember correctly so. That's coming up for college football, and the season's over. We already we already got transfer portal stuff going on like crazy. I mean, that's always fun to pay attention to. It has another another inkling of surprises to like rec- recruiting season as well. The transfer portal has so that's a lot of fun to pay attention to. If you're not looking at the twenty four seven sports transfer portal tracker on uh, in your college football fan, then you need to pull that up right now and go check it out. And that's a very good tool to use. Tool to use if you're uh, looking for names and stuff that your team might have an eye on for the transfer portal. That's a it's a fun tool to use just to scroll through and look at some of the names that are leaving your team or looking to join your team, that sort of thing. So check that out. Okay. Let's move on here. Let's move on to some NFL. Let's move on to some NFL. It was a crazy week 14. We're going to skip week 13 because there's, you know, I was gone. It's been two weeks. It's been a week and a half now since week 13. I don't need to hash over week 13 all that much. To be honest, it is whatever. It was a good week. Week 13 is fun. Week 14 though. Let's talk about week 14. For one thing I do want to point out about week 13 that I was disappointed I get to talk about because I was sick. I was sad I didn't get to talk about it. This may have been week 12 and I just forgot about it. I honestly don't remember. Brian Robinson with the big hats. That was so much fun. Oh my God, I wanted to buy a big hat so bad after I saw that. And then everybody started wearing the big hats. The big hats are fun, man. Those are cool. I would wear a big hat. The big hats are cool. They're a lot of fun to just see people. They're just funny. I don't know what it was. When I saw Brian Robinson wearing that big hat, it just makes me smile every time I see it. And when he's doing that that post-game press conference or whatever at the at his uh, the post-game scrum, quote-unquote, if you will, at his locker after that game, and he had the big hat on, that, that'll, put a, <laughs> that'll put a smile to my face every time I look at it. And... uh now everybody's wearing the big hats. He started something, man. Props to Brian Robinson. That was cool. Uh, he gave a shout out to his buddy's big hat or his big hat, uh, his big hat company or whatever. And uh, all of a sudden, everybody started wearing big hats. And I'm sure, I'm sure that guy, uh, his friend who has the big hat company, I'm sure he's happy with the turnout from just that little piece of you know dialogue and that little bit that that photograph that he got. I'm positive that uh, his friend is happy with the turnout from that. So I just, I just on my notes here, I just wrote big hats for, uh, for Brian Robinson. So that was fun. I enjoyed that. It made me smile. Every time I see the picture, I get a picture in my mind. And it makes me smile. Him with the big hat. Anybody with a big hat is just kind of funny. I like, I like big hats. That's a, that's a good, that's a good direct line to my funny bone. It's just somebody walking around with a big hat on. I would wear a big hat. Oh man. I love the big hats. Okay. Let's talk about some NFL football that happened 
over the weekend. Uh, we're, we're getting into this next week. We're having Saturday NFL football. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, because college football won't be really going on or it's going to be scattered around the week more. So they're going to have NFL football on Saturday this upcoming week as well as Sunday. So be prepared for that. So this is our last full Sunday of only NFL football. We're going to have a little bit Saturday, a little bit on Sunday, obviously Thursday, Monday, uh, and, and the lot, if you will, for NFL. So week 14, the Rams over the Raiders, the best game of the week, I would say, was on Thursday night. was not expecting that. And boy, oh boy, Baker Mayfield. Dude, props to Baker Mayfield. The throws of his life. I can't believe he did that guy. He joined the Rams less than a week beforehand. He comes in. He had, you know, a couple good drives here and there. He wasn't, you know, Overly fantastic throughout the rest of the game, but those last, what was it, four, three, four minutes or whatever, where he just had the throws of his life, led to a bunch of two drives down the field that brought the team back into the game and then eventually won the game 98 yards, 98 yards in the ticking in the final seconds of the game. Uh, to win the game. What a what a revenge story for, not necessarily a revenge, but a vengeance story, if you will, for Baker Mayfield. That was so much fun to see and to see how happy he was. I mean, the guy, I feel the, the system really ground him, just grinded him up, spit him out, and kind of left him for dead at that point. Uh, until the you know nobody only the only team that picked him up on the off the waiver wire was the Rams. The, t- the system grinded him up. He wouldn't have uh, he probably would have gotten the big deal with the Browns if he hadn't played hurt uh, two years ago. Uh, he probably would have gotten a big deal that would have let him stay there. Uh, and and but he played hurt, and because of that, he played poorly. Then he goes to the Panthers, which kind of a joke. I mean, let's be honest, the Panthers organization while he was there it, it was was very much a joke. And um, the offense that they were running, the scheme that they were running was. Very largely a joke. We see Christian McCaffrey thriving in San Francisco now as well. Robbie Anderson, granted, hasn't played great under in Arizona, but that's also kind of a system that's, you know, ick, you know, a little bit ick, yeah. Uh, but you know, Baker Mayfield gets picked up on the waiver wire. He's probably gonna be a backup for the Rams if Matthew Stafford ever comes back. That's fine, you know. I, if if he gets released after this game, I mean, he's at least proven something. I think he's at least proven something that he can. He has a little something that he can he can still toss around as a quarterback in this league. Uh, especially after, I mean, it was a week. It was a week of preparation. Uh, he had to learn an entire playbook in basically less than a week, and then go out there. And granted, it was probably only ten or fifteen plays, but I mean, he was ex- executing them to perfection. It was very well done. It was very beautiful to watch him throw, sling the ball around. It looked like Baker was kind of back to being himself, and that was a nice thing to see. I enjoy watching Baker play. Granted, maybe a little biased. I'm an Oklahoma fan, so Baker Mayfield is essentially my god. He was the best quarterback that I probably ever saw growing up as a as an Oklahoma fan. Sam Bradford, you can throw into that conversation, sure. Uh, but Baker Mayfield. To me, probably quarterback the best teams that we had, uh, at least on the offensive side at Oklahoma. So maybe I'm being a little bit biased, but whatever. It was good to see Baker. Felt like he got that juice back a little bit in that win over the Raiders. And uh, it was just fun to see. It was good to see old Baker back and celebrating with his team, pumped up to play the game of football. And we kind of were missing out on that for a while uh, because he was playing hurt, playing in a bad system, playing with a bad team in Carolina, you know, the whole spiel. I don't think he's going to be, you know, Rookie of the year, Baker. I don't know. I that feels like that's probably gone for good. To be honest with you, I don't think he's going to come back and wow everybody that he plays with or anything like that. He's not going to come back on a new team if it's not the Rams. If it's somebody else, uh, he's not going to come back. I don't think he's going to be the, the another great quarterback uh, that we just missed out on, like Geno Smith or anything like that. I think that's probably out the window, but. He can make a solid living being a very good backup quarterback in this league. I think that would be a great tenure to have as well. It's sort of a Case Keenum type, if you will. Uh, I think that would be a good thing to have on, for Baker Mayfield as well. And it was just good to see him 
celebrating on the sidelines with his teammates and stuff, banging his head, no helmet on, banging his head against helmets and stuff. His teammates helmets, he, that dude was crazy. Like, well, don't do that, kids. Put your helmet on and bang it against the helmet if you're going to bang your helmet against other helmets, okay? Don't take your helmet off and then bang your head against the helmet. That's a bad idea. You're going to get thrown into concussion protocol and the NFL is going to sit you down, okay? Don't do that. That's a bad idea. Uh, all right, let's move on. A couple other games here. The Bengals, they beat the Browns. They exercise some demons. Bengals, man, the Bengals, they're getting hot at the right time again. They're going to sneak up in the AFC. It's going to be very frustrating for anybody in the AFC to take on that team. I would not want to be one of those teams that has to take on the Bengals in the AFC in the, at the in the playoff picture. Right now, as it stands in the playoff picture, they're the five seed. So, <laughs> no thank you. Uh, they're still, they, could, they could overtake the Ravens in the AFC North, which it seems like they probably will. But, I mean, who knows? The Ravens did beat the, the Steelers this past weekend. But, uh, and, you know, we'll see what happens. I don't think. Lamar's pro Lamar Jackson for the Ravens is probably not coming back uh, at least towards, uh, you know, as the, as the seasons to comes to a close, maybe the last few weeks, of the season it's kind of been all over the place uh, for Lamar Jackson's return. We'll see. I mean, Caleb Huntley is a decent replacement for Lamar Jackson. He's not Lamar Jackson though, obviously. Um, so it, regardless Cincinnati Bengals, if they jump over, then they will be the three seed. They'll take on, I can't remember how this playoff picture works. It's always so confusing. I think they'd take on the, the chargers in that scenario. If I remember correctly, the Jets would be the eight seed, Chargers would be the seven seed. Uh, no, they would take on the Dolphins in that scenario, which Dolphin fans, you do not want to be playing the bang. I mean, the Dolphins, they are going through a rough December so far, and uh, that is not the team you want to be seeing in January. Now, granted, Dolphins might not even make the playoffs. They lose this next game against the Bills, which I think a lot of people might expect. I don't think uh, a lot of people would be surprised if the Dolphins missed the playoffs in that scenario because uh, of a bad December. And then, you know, we've seen that happen before as well. So we'll see where the Bengals end up, but that is not a team I want to be playing in the AFC playoffs. They look like they're getting hot at the right time once again, which is what they kind of rode to get themselves into a Super Bowl uh, last year. So we'll see what happens with the Bengals and Joe Burrow. I mean, we got to start giving him a little bit more of a nod for MVP. In my opinion, the guy's playing absolutely insane. Absolutely lights out. He didn't have T Higgins or Tyler board, Tyler Boyd in, uh, in the game against the Browns just t- tore apart the Browns without those guys, regardless as you just can, it feels like you can put him with anybody and he's going to dominate. And that's just man. Bengals first. They suffered for so long. They had a decent Carson, Pal- a decent Carson Palmer for a long time, but I mean, this is just different. You know, this is a feeling that I think every sort of every fan base would love to have as a uh, as a fan in in any team, respectively, any team other than, you know, Mahomes, you're okay with Josh Allen, you're okay with Lamar Jackson, you're okay with Jalen Hurts. Maybe, you know, you're you're getting a little bit better, better with Jalen Hurts. You're feeling a lot more confident with Jalen Hurts, but literally any other team would gladly take Joe Burrow in any other situ- in, in their situation. Um, the Chargers as well, they'd probably hold on to Herbert as well. Uh, but any other team after that, I think they'd probably take Joe Burrow over whoever they have at this point right now. Um, I'm sorry if I'm missing somebody, but I think that's, I'm pretty confident in those are saying those are the teams that would probably take, uh, take Joe Burrow over any other team or any other quarterback that they have right now. Uh, moving on, the Lions, man, the Lions. They beat my Vikings and uh, thoroughly, I would say, very comfortably. Uh, they were letting off the gas a little bit towards the end of the game. The The Vikings were getting into their favorite territory, when which is they're down, they're going to come back, and uh, the Lions were letting off the gas maybe a little bit, a little tad bit, um, but they, they held on. They got the touchdown they needed that separated them, and then they got the first down that put Panay Sewell over the first down marker. Yes, they ran like a tight end out with Panay Sewell, caught the ball, got the first down, the game was over. Man, the Lions are fun. 
The Lions are a fun team to watch. They might have one. They might have the best offense in all of football, to be honest with you, which is absolutely insane to say. I feel like we're living in an alternate reality. We're living in a weird world right now where the Lions are actually kind of good. Uh, they're they're still they have a way to sneak into the playoffs. They're six and seven. The Seattle Seahawks are seven and six. They can sneak in there with a couple more wins. They're they're a little they're they're playing pretty hot right now. They're playing pretty good right now. It'd be inter- uh, it'll be interesting to see where the Lions end up. I think another team that I don't know if I necessarily want to play in the playoffs just because they can kind of go toe to toe at least offensively with almost any team in the league. People forget they played the Philadelphia Eagles week one, and it was a three-point game between the Eagles and Lions. Granted, different teams, obviously, as the season goes along. I think the Eagles are a lot more dominant now as the season has gone along. I don't know how that would fare uh, now if you're looking at the playoff picture. No idea how that would fare, but who knows? I mean, if they can stand with the Eagles in week one, who's to say they can't do it in week 17 or whatever in the first weekend of the playoffs who knows uh then you also got uh i mean the seahawks they beat the the, the lions they had a scoregami game seahawks beat the lions 48 to 45 they can score they can score the lights out of the building only team that uh, really feels like they could score with anybody right now which is insane for me to about to say they feel i feel like they can kind of keep up with anybody is the detroit lions i cannot believe i'm saying that out loud uh they have the offense to do it jared goff i don't know where this is coming from Jared Goff looks like a very solid quarterback pick now, though. And they also said in, in an interview, I think it was their GM or somebody from the front office was reporting that uh, they were looking to a path forward with Jared Goff as their future quarterback, as the quarterback of the future for the Lions, which is also insane to say. I cannot believe that is something that's coming out of that front office. Well, I, I mean, I can now, but looking back two years ago, I would be like, OK, we got to they got to figure out a way to get out of Jared, out of Jared Goff's contract, move on from him. Find another draft pick that you can get, and that you can get CJ Stroud or or Bryce Young or something like that. But now, I mean, they don't need to. They got Jared Goff, and he's slinging it. He's playing pretty good. And, you know, props to the Lions. They got a little bit better on defense. Their line is playing good. They've got good positional players on the outside. Jameson Williams looks like he's going to be a solid deep threat now that he's back. Amon Ross St. Brown, if he stays healthy, I feel like I, I, I've said this before, but. If they stay healthy, they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. They're going to be able to score with anybody if you know they don't run into a buzzsaw defense like the the 49ers, which is also possible. That that would probably be not great for them. Uh, but you know, a team like the Eagles who have been shown that they can get gashed uh, on defense, then uh, you know, I don't rule it out. Who knows? We who knows what this Lions team can do in the playoffs with a guy like Man Campbell, the man Dan Campbell as your head coach. I feel like he would talk. Talk any sort of uh, any sort of doubt out of your mind if you're taking on the one seed in the NFC. I mean, I, I would run into battle with that man uh, no matter what. And he's going to get a 10-year contract, an infinite-year contract just because of the turnaround that he's putting together in Detroit. We haven't seen a team with this much hope, or a Detroit team, I guess is what I should say, with this much hope around it since you know the early days of Matt Stafford and even before then, possibly Barry Sanders days, essentially uh, with or you know the Matthew Stafford, Calvin Johnson days, which were I feel like a long time ago. So. See what the Lions do. I'm excited. I hope I part of me hopes they make the playoffs just because it'd be cool to see. I'm rooting for the Lions just because they're kind of the the lovable underdog with kind of the the head coach that's easy to root for because he's kind of just fun and goofy in, in that sense. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what the Lions do. They've won five out of the last six. Who knows what they do the last three weeks of the season? Uh, let's move on here. The Cowboys over the Texans. That was an interesting game. I think a lot of people thought the Texans were about to pull off a Texas-sized upset. <laughs> So that's that was a good one, right? Uh, Dak was shaky in this game. Uh, a little bit concerning, to be honest with you. He looked flabbergasted by whatever the Texans were throwing at him. Uh, and the Texans, they ran a, Q, a two QB system that game, and they nearly won. 
That would have been wild if they were running that two QB system with Davis Mills and Jeff Driscoll and they find a way to go into Dallas and win that game. I would have I I that would have been a mouth ajar home alone type moment uh, if they would have found a way to win that game. But lo and behold, Texans, they drive down the deck, finally figures it out in the waning seconds of the fourth quarter. Eerily similar, eerily similar conclusion to uh, the uh, to the Rams Raiders game as well. Uh, But. You know, that that's just me making comparisons. Uh ninety-eight yard drive as well. That Dak Prescott went down. Ezekiel Ella runs it runs it in for the score to put the Cowboys on top and the rest was history. Uh, I think a lot of Cowboys fans were like, not again. And please no. Not like this. It feels like they always have that one loss that is a very head scratcher moment. And because they're the team that everybody has eyes on, just because you either love them or you love to hate them. That's just the Cowboys, the essence of the Cowboys. Everybody knows what's going on with the Cowboys week to week basis. Um and because that's the situation of the Cowboys, uh, I think a lot of people were paying attention to that game with much glee or much dread, depending on which side you were on, to see the Texans nearly beat the Cowboys. So we'll see what happens. That could be a bump in the road to a Super Bowl run uh, for the Cowboys. Maybe. We'll see. I, I, I still think they have the team that's good enough to make a run in the NFC. Uh, you know, I think a team like the Niners could probably take them out. Eagles could, I mean, more than likely would be able to take them out. Obviously, uh, I think the team like a a team like the Niners, though, I'd be a little bit more nervous about. To be honest with you, um, if I were the Dallas Cowboys in that situation, but they're probably the third best team in the NFC, uh, in terms of talent, in my opinion, the uh, the Cowboys are. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what the Cowboys do, and uh, you know, maybe this could just be a bump in the road. Who knows? I don't think so. I think maybe it's a bigger part of a larger issue and you know some of the teams they're going to have to take on in the playoffs maybe don't really have those bumps if you if, if that makes sense or they're getting hot at the at the right time especially the the teams at the top of the NFC playoff picture the Eagles the Niners they're getting hot at the right time you can't really have those games if you're the Cowboys towards the end of the season and expect to kind of just right the wrong and turn it around very quickly, it's hard to find that situation uh, happen very com- It's not very common in the NFL going into the playoffs. Uh, moving on here, let's take a look at some of the other games we had. The Jags over the Titans. That was a fun game. Trevor Lawrence, he officially announced himself. That was a fun game to watch for Trevor Lawrence. He is the guy, the first round pick, the, the first pick in the draft that we all kind of expected to see. That felt like... And we've gotten a couple games in a row from Trevor Lawrence where we're like, okay, this is the dude that we kind of always expected to see. That this is that guy. The Jaguars aren't out of it either in terms of playoff playoff appearance as well. They're the 10 seed as it stands right now. They're five and eight, so they need a couple things to fall their way. But they're not entirely out of it, and they've been playing pretty well in recent weeks. Uh, also, Bills they took on the Jets. The Bills they have to figure out a way how to they have to figure out a way to speed up or you know stop their slow starts on offense. They punted five consecutive times to start this game which is with Josh Allen that's that's unacceptable. You can't be doing that if you're the Buffalo Bills. You can't be punting five straight times to open the game. Granted, Jets very good defense. They have the defense that's built for that situation. It was a crappy day in Buffalo and in those situations those are the that's the kind of the team you want to have in terms of the build that the Jets have just a gritty grinded out uh nose to the pavement type of you know I'm using all the clichés but that is the team that the Jets have especially on defense they will grind you into dust and then beat you with a solid run game and some dink and dunk passes and that's how they'll beat you uh so not not entirely you know, surprising to have the Jets kind of grind down the Bills like that, but the Bills have to figure out a way to stop their slow starts because a good teams in the playoffs, they're going to beat you by taking advantage of your slow starts and jump out to a big lead like the Chiefs. They can, they'll take advantage of that all day long. It feels like the Bills are, to me right now, it feels like the Bills are literally playing each week 
to get to the Chiefs game, if that makes sense. They 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 have a taste for blood for the Chiefs right now. That's It feels like, to me, that's the only team they want to play week in, week out, just because they want to beat the hell out of them, because that's the team that's kind of embarrassed. Not embarrassed, but, you know, disappointed. It caused the disappointment for the Bills the last few years has been the Chiefs, and it feels like week to week that's the thing that's on their mind is they want to get to the Chiefs game. They want to take on the Chiefs. They want to beat the Chiefs. That's all they're thinking about, and then they run into games like this with the Jets where it kind of feels like, you know, 20 to 12. I mean, come on. You guys are better than that. You can't start five straight, five straight drives to open the game with punts. That's not what the Bills are. That's not who Josh Allen is. It's also funny. I want to point out the juxtaposition between Josh Allen leaping over a guy and doing the helicopter uh, spin, get hit, and then do a little helicopter spin for the first down uh, at quarterback. At quarterback, he's doing that. Uh, was really funny to see the juxtaposition from that. The guy that can just take it and gets helicopter and lands on the ground first down, gets up, get ready to play call to Mike White. Not a, not a slight against Mike White, two very different scenarios, but he gets just absolutely slammed in the rib cage, just hammered in the ribs, and he's down, uh, you know, it looks like he loses his breath. It looked like he his ribs had been separated from his body and would lay, had slashed apart his internal organs. That's how hard he was hit. And to see that, the the people that essentially just bounce off of Josh Allen to Mike White, who just took that hit, like a champ, I would say. I mean, he got hit. Looked like he destroyed every single rib in the process and then got up and went back out there and played the next down. I mean, tip of the cap to Mike White, but the juxtaposition between the two of, of Josh Allen leaping over people as the quarterback to Mike White just getting absolutely slammed in the rib cage was a funny juxtaposition. But we hope Mike White's okay, of course. He's the answer, in my opinion, for the Jets at quarterback, at least for now. I don't know if he's the long-term answer, at least for this season. Mike White's the guy. Don't put anybody else in there. Do not mess around with Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson's done, in my opinion. You have expectations now. Leave Zach Wilson the hell out of there. Do not even let him sniff the field anymore. Uh, let Mike White do his thing. Unless he's injured, then you put Joe Flacco in. I don't want to see Zach Wilson out on that field anymore if I'm a Jets fan. Okay, moving on here. Next game that we had on the list here that I took a little bit of notes on. The Eagles, they beat the Giants. Eagles, man, again, getting hot at the right time. That's their best performance, offensive performance of the year so far. Let a couple of garbage time touchdowns in and stuff like that, whatever. Uh, arguably their best performance of the season total uh, as a team. For the Eagles, and they're doing it at the right time. The Giants, man, that was a that was a bit of false gold, huh? When they were, I think they were seven and one on the season. That feels like that was a long time ago. It never felt like they were legitimately seven and one. I never got that feeling that they were a team that kind of crossed over the hump. Felt like they got a little bit lucky at times. Obviously, same thing with you know the Vikings have done that all season long, gotten lucky. That's how they're sitting at ten and three with like a negative one point differential as well. Um, but it kind of felt like the Giants were that way as well, and. Uh, they kind of proved it. Now, Saquon's hurt, and uh, we'll see if he's in the next game, but he's not. Uh, I mean, I think he's listed as questionable, so we'll see if he plays in the next game. Um, and the Giants, man, I, I mean, that's such a bad, that's such a tough decision, uh, such, t- such a tough division for the Giants to be playing, and I can't, uh, that, that's, you know, start 7-1, and one, I think they're, the, what, they're 7-5 and five now or something like that? 7-7 seven and, uh, seven and, yeah, 7-5-1, and one, I guess, yeah, because they had the tie with the Commanders. So, man, piece of false gold there from from you know, I don't think they're very far away. I mean, they can you know turn it around. They're a decent team. I don't know if Daniel Jones is the answer at quarterback. You have a running back, obviously. Their wide receiver core definitely needs work. Um, so I mean, we'll see what the Giants do. Uh, and again, very tough division division to be playing in. Uh, here we go. The Chiefs and the Broncos. That happened this weekend as well. The Broncos. Broncos. You know what? I'm not going to be negative about the Broncos. They played a very good game. Russell Wilson had his best game of the season by far. Three touchdowns. Unheard of. 
for Russell Wilson. That was a little backhanded compliment. Uh, unheard of for Russell Wilson, but then he gets hurt. That's unfortunate for Broncos fans. It feels like you're finally gaining momentum, a little bit of momentum with uh, with Bronc- with Russell Wilson and the Broncos. You're like, okay, this is what we were looking to see. This is what we were looking to see from Russell Wilson. Gets hurt. Clearly concussed when they when he got hit, and then you know they showed him down on the ground. He was he was seeing stars. He was seeing things that weren't really there. Very clearly, uh, then he gets up and able to walk off on Arizona Power, which is great. If I'm the Broncos, if I'm if I'm the you know up front the head coach or whatever, I'm not playing Russell Wilson again this year. No, thank you. No point. They're three and ten. They're out. They've been eliminated from playoff contention. Throw Brett Ripien in there and uh, maybe get some reps out of him. Get him a little bit better. No reason to be throwing Russell Wilson back into that fire. Uh, no need. There's just no need. Uh, he's hurt, or you know, been concussed. No need to. No need to re-aggravate a concussion or anything like that going into the offseason. Uh, no, no need to do that. And you know, they don't have a first round pick, so you know, you're basically running it back with a lot of the same key pieces that you have uh, in uh, in the in the team that you have. We'll see what they do in the offseason. I have no idea. I, I I'm still of the belief. I don't think you can bring Nathaniel Hackett back with the disaster that this was. Uh, the offense wasn't good except for this game, pretty much all season long. I turned on the television. They had 27 points. I was blown away. I was like, no way. I can't believe they're about to compete with the Chiefs. But then I found, you know, you'll watch it back. And it was basically Chiefs jump out to 27 nothing, And they basically just let off the gas for the, you know, the next two and a half quarters until the game is over. And uh, that was essentially the game. But granted, you know, Broncos, they were, they were, they were down bad. They were down real bad. They could have just thrown in the towel. They fought back. Fair enough. You know, fair enough. Fought back, played well uh, for a lot of the second quarter, third into the second half as well. Jerry Judy looked like he uh, he was playing pretty solid. He was just finally getting targeted like crazy. I think he had nine targets, eight receptions. He had three touchdowns as well. He was fun to watch. So maybe a slight glint of hope if you're a Broncos fan uh, in in the loss. Sure, you can take a little slight glint of hope if you would like. Why not? But three and ten. Don't let Russell Wilson back out there if I'm. I'm the head coach. Do not let him. Okay. He's only, he's got 10 touches. He's not playing for an MVP or MVP or anything like that. He's not chasing any personal records or anything like that for damn sure. Uh, and you know, just don't do it. No need, no need to have him back out there. Uh, and, uh, it would be funny. I mean, honestly, I, part of me wonders if he would like to go back out there because he is still below in terms of, in terms of, uh, so he has less touchdown passes than he has bathrooms in his house right now. Bathrooms, he has 12, uh, 11 touchdown passes on the season so far. So I wonder if that's something that's getting to him as well. I'm curious to know if that if that uh, that popular trend right now where we talk about his bathrooms versus his uh, his passing touchdowns, I wonder if that's getting to him at some point in the locker room where somebody brings that up. Or I, I doubt it, but I think it's, it is kind of funny to see that, you know, the guy that they paid that amount of money for less touchdowns and bathrooms in his house. Who needs 12 bathrooms? I've never, ever thought about having 12 bathrooms in any house that I've ever been in. Like, never thought that you need double the amount of ha- bathrooms that you have, like, bedrooms. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Anyways, going on a spiel. Uh, anyways, you know, if they do bring him back in, let him get the two touchdowns and beat the old bathrooms, and then get him out. Then get him out of there, okay? If he can beat the bathrooms, then great. We'll see what happens. Though I, part of me doesn't believe that they'll sit him just because Russell Wilson doesn't seem like that kind of guy, but we'll see. Uh, we also have here the fighter, the four, fighter Niners. What? That's not their name. 49ers. They beat the Bucks. That was a oof. Niners, man. They're good. Purdy. You can just Brock Purdy. Iowa State legend. You can just plug him in there. 
plug any. It feels like you can plug anybody into that QBs into that system, and Kyle Shanahan's going to make them look a lot better. Look, make them look really good. And Brock Purdy, he was making very good, some very Purdy throws, if you will. Uh, he was making some good plays down the field, and uh, that game was pretty much over at kickoff. Thirty-five to seven was the final score of that one. Tom Brady, I don't want to say this. Okay, I know I'm going to make the mistake of saying this. I think it's time. I think it's over. I think it's over for Tom Brady. I know. I, I mean, the last time this happened, I talk about, I've talked about this before. We had this point where we told Brady it was over, and then he had a second Hall of Fame career after we were telling him it was over. But this kind of feels a little bit different, okay? We're seeing things that I never thought we'd see out of Tom Brady. His check down passing, and, uh, the check downs that he's throwing basically every down, uh, and, and some of his, uh, his throw power obviously is gone. But he's 45, you know, like Tom. Do something else, man. Do something else. You got the Fox Sports thing waiting on the sideline. The 10-year, whatever, $100 million deal that he signed as well. He's got that waiting on the sideline. Just go do that. Just go do that. You know, you don't have to be playing football forever. It's, it kind of makes me a little bit upset. Like, I feel bad for Giselle, to be honest with you, because I can kind of see the form of some sort of addiction from Tom Brady. I think he's almost afraid to let go of football because he has no idea how it's going to feel to be without it, if that makes sense. And I think Giselle finds that frustrating because I'm going on a, you know, this is kind of a weird pop culture, you know, a pop culture thing as well. But I think Giselle finds that frustrating because he has this amazing support system around him. Clearly Giselle supported him from the, uh, since they got together essentially. And she put her career on hold so he could continue his striving as the greatest of all time. But you know, she put her career on hold for that. And that clearly became a problem. And now you know, they're divorced and I can understand where Giselle's frustration came from, but it does feel like it's something like an addiction for Tom Brady. He, he feels like he doesn't want to leave the game or does it feels like he can't leave the game because he has no idea who he is outside of the game. If that makes sense. It's a, I'm doing a weird psychological profile, but somebody at 45 who has that willingness to play the game. There's something wrong there, in my opinion, in a game like that, where it can change so quickly. Uh, in terms of your your the way your body works after the game is done, in uh, the fact that you're 45, you have literally nothing to prove. I mean, he is the undisputed greatest football player of all time. Nobody is going to tell you any differently, and if they're telling you any differently, everybody else that is around that person is going to tell them that they're wrong because he is the greatest football player in the history of the game. No doubt, there is literally nothing else to prove. So why is he still out there? What is the point of him still being out there? What does he have left to prove to himself in order to get him off the field? I don't know what the answer to that is. I think only Tom knows the answer to that, but I just find it interesting. Like, I can't imagine what the answer to that is because every, literally everybody else, he's really the only undisputed goat in, in, in any other professional sport that we see in any other one, Tom Brady, uh, maybe Wayne Gretzky in hockey is probably the undisputed goat in his profession as well. But Tom Brady in football is the undisputed goat. You won't find it in basketball, baseball. It, there really is no undisputed goat in baseball. Uh, there's not even really a goat in baseball because of how random it is. Uh, and, and then, you know, you got, you got, uh, I said basketball already soccer as well. You got Ronaldo, you got Messi, you got Pele. You can go down the list, Diego Maradona as well. I mean, you can go down the list of people that are, Consider the goats in you can kind of you can kind of point it out by country. They'll give you a different name each time each country you look at. But for football, for American football, it's Tom Brady. Nobody else gives an answer 
other than Tom Brady. I think if they do give you an answer, it's an overwhelming majority. It will be Tom Brady. It's just, I don't know what else there is to prove for Tom Brady, for him to still be out there and to, uh, and I think it's it, part of it is also an overreaction by the people on the sideline, me included to see a team that's six and seven, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that is led by Tom Brady is also very jarring. I don't think we've never seen anything like this from Tom Brady, but it's also, you know, partially on him because the team is just not good and he has not been, he has not played very well as well. I mean, a lot of the stuff that he's doing is not in terms of the offensive capability uh, is not something that we've seen from Tom Brady in terms of how he's going about playing the game and how uh, he's kind of uh, approaching each game offensively, I guess is what I would say. It's not something we're used to seeing. So it could be an overreaction by me, but it's also, I mean, I'm just, you know, you're 45, 45 years old playing the most stressful position in all of sports in at quarterback. And I just, you know, I, I can't imagine one, what he could possibly have to prove to himself. And the two, what he possibly thinks he needs to prove to us in order to stay out there. It's just, it's mind numbing to me. Just go home, man. Just go home. You don't have to you, you look. Nobody will call you a failure for going home at 45 years old after the career that you had. If you go six and seven or finish the year six and six and 11 or whatever it is, however the final six and nine or whatever it is now. Nobody's going to call you a failure. You know why? Because you have the seven Super Bowl rings that nobody's going to be able to catch or whatever it is. Six, seven Super Bowl rings that no, almost pretty much nobody is ever going to be able to catch with you. So you left New England. You went to Tampa Bay. You got the ring that you needed to prove that you were different from Belichick. You didn't need Belichick to get the ring. You got it. Go home, man. Go, go do something else. Fox Sports is calling your name. Go be an analyst. For 10 years, $100 million. You're going to be paid better than basically any other analyst in the game right now. And we have no idea if you're going to be good at it, but that's just because we know who you are. You're the greatest of all time, and you don't really need to prove anybody how good you are in color commentating or analyzing or anything like that because you're the GOAT and they respect. They would love the fact that you were just sitting on set with them. That is the, that is the legacy that he would leave behind. It's truly incredible. So... We'll see what happens with Tom Brady. I, I mean, I say that they're sitting as the four seed in the NFC because they are leading the terrible NFC South division right now. Uh, so they're still sitting as a four seed. Carolina kind of sneaking up on them. I mean, kind of sneaking up on them a little bit. So we'll see what happens there. If they get bumped by uh, Carolina, then obviously they would be out of the playoffs. They're not good. Uh, you know, they're not uh, unless they go on a run here. I mean, they could catch the Seattle Seahawks, I guess, if they stay kind of on the same trajectory, same trajectory, uh, the New York Giants as well and that sort of thing. So uh, we'll see. But uh, I mean, they could be a four seed. Uh, they could be a four seed in the NFC. Who knows? Uh, finally here, Chargers, they beat the Dolphins. I was going to talk about Monday Night Football, but I mean, big news, I guess. Kyler Murray tours ACL. That's tough. That That's, I mean, that means the Cardinals are probably going to lose him for the first, whatever, four, five, six, four, five, six weeks of the season next year as well. That's tough. That's a tough look for the Cardinals. Um, so I was going to talk about Monday Night Football, but there really wasn't a whole lot there. Uh, Chargers beat the Dolphins, though. And that was a very interesting game for a lot of people. It's the battle of the 2020 NFL uh, NFL draft. And guess what? Herbert wins, at least round one. He completely dominated. Tua Tungavailoa looked lost out there on Sunday night. And uh, Herbert dominated. I mean, it was 23 to 17, but felt a little bit. It felt further apart than that. And he got a couple lucky bounces here and there. I mean, Tyreek Hill beat one guy down the sideline and scored a touchdown there. And then he picked up a fumble and returned it for a touchdown uh, in that game as well. So... So Herbert won this round, but Tua Tungavilua probably the season so far. I mean, he's the, he's he's winning the war, if you will, so far this year. Herbert won the battle. 
Tua Tungavailoa's winning the war so far. But better offensive weapons as well. That's something you have to toss into the hat as well. Tyreek Hill looks literally unstoppable. I mean, you can put anybody back there. You can put people on the goal line, on the opposite goal line, and I feel I still feel like Tyreek Hill is going to find a way to run by them and score a touchdown somehow. That's just Tyreek Hill. That's how he plays the game, and he's incredible at doing it. So Jalen Waddell as well. I mean, another guy that's fast as all God in heaven. Uh, so, you know. Better, better, uh, better weapons for Tua Tungavailoa, I would say, on on that side of the ball. But Justin Herbert, I mean, he's got Keenan Allen as well. Austin Eckler, probably a better running back than what the Dolphins have. So you can kind of compare two to uh, two and two uh, in terms of weapons and stuff. But now, granted, you can go down a longer list of different things that they have about them. I still like Herbert probably in the long run a little bit more. Some of the throws that he was making on Sunday night were just oh, chef's kiss there. Just chef's kiss. They were incredible to watch. I love watching Herbert play. He's awesome. He's so much fun to watch. Uh, anyways, that's NFL. That's NFL Week 14. Yeah. Yeah. All right. NFL Week 14. Dunzo. Moving on to Week 15. Should be a good Week 15. We got Saturday football as well. Sunday. Saturday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. They got four days of the week now at the latter half of the season. They're taking over as we see it right now. We're going to move on here really quickly. Uh, MLB. They had winter meetings. They had free agency going on. A lot of big deals were made while I was uh, at home coughing up a storm. Aaron Judge, obviously the biggest one. A lot of rumblings. He would go to San Francisco or something like that. Uh, no can do. He says, nope, not going to do it. Yankees, nine years, $360 million. Fair enough. I don't think anybody really disputed the fact that he would go back to the Yankees. Best place for him, I would say. Giants, uh, they would get better. But he's also, I mean, if you go to San Francisco, you're drastically going to see your home run numbers drop off as well. It's very much a friendly, uh, a uh, pitcher's friendly park. You go to, I mean, you go to New York, you got to, I mean, that's little league ballpark pretty much. Uh, so, you know, Aaron Judge to the Yankees, I think everybody kind of expected it, but then like to get the conspiracy theories going, oh, uh, Giants, Mets maybe, who knows, goes across town, who knows? No, I mean, Yankees was, it always felt like the the, the right place to go for Aaron Judge. Uh, Trey Turner, he went to the Phillies, 11 years, $300 million, goes on from the Dodgers, moves on from the Dodgers, goes to the Phillies. This was a surprise to me. I didn't realize the Phillies were really going to go in. I mean, you know, they were in the World Series, obviously, so... It feels like they're probably they probably feel like they're only a couple pieces away, and they're fixing up a pretty big one in shortstop Trey Turner, a very solid shortstop. Uh, I don't know how I feel about eleven years. Uh, he'll be forty-one years old by the time this contract comes up, and for a guy that relies heavily on his ability to make contact and just kind of beat a lot of balls out, uh, he's better at it than you know, like he's not Billy Hamilton in that sense. But he is very much a contact-driven guy and a speed-driven guy that does not age very well, especially the speed part, obviously. As the age gets further down the line, I have no idea how they get under the, out of out from under this contract once he gets towards 41. But that's something they'll worry about at a later date. Um, so, you know, I think it's a good contract for now. I think the Phillies, since they're going for it right now, obviously, three, four years down the line, if they look back and they have, you know, one World Series title, two World Series titles because they signed Trey Turner, then I think the next six or seven years or whatever they'd be perfectly okay with. I, they can live with that as long as they got the two World Series titles in those first four years. I think that's kind of what they're shooting for. Uh, another one, Xander Bogarts. Oh, this one hurt. This one hurt. I, appre- I, you know, I appreciate the, the, the front office of the Boston Red Sox for not chasing this contract that he got. He, Xander Bogarts was going to the Padres, 11 years, $280 million. They, Red Sox offered him, I think it was like a four-year deal for a higher AAV, average annual value. Uh, I think they offered him for a higher average annual value, but they were looking for length, and they got it from the Potteries, 11 years, $280 million. I don't know where 
they're going to put him. I mean, they'll put him at shortstop, I would imagine. Um, but if Fernando wants to come back and play shortstop, then he kind of got something going on there. I would imagine they put Fernando back in the outfield, though, because he was kind of a mess at shortstop when he was playing at shortstop in terms of uh, his defensive line. He was a defensive liability. So they'll probably put Fernando back in the outfield. Um, but we'll see. I mean, you know, that's going to be halfway down the season, halfway down the this next season. They're going to have to answer that question. So we'll see what happens there. But it's sad. I mean, Xander, I'll throw up the X for the rest of my life every time I see Xander because he is a Red Sox legend. Um, he will always be a Red Sox legend. He is a two-time World Series champion, and you know he was uh, he held down a position that uh, was tough to hold down for a long time for the Red Sox. Uh, no more Garcia Parra comes to that, comes to mind, but uh, Xander held it down for longer in that in, in at the shortstop position. So um, Xander Bogers will always have a piece of my heart forever as a Red Sox fan. But I mean, Red Sox. Okay, front office. If you're listening, you're not. But if you're listening. Let's get Rafi Devers, okay? Let's get Rafael Devers. Let's sign him. You know, get him on the old dotted line. Let's get it done. I don't care what he's asking. I had, I literally could not care less what he's asking. Sign Rafael Devers. Let's go get some other guys, okay? That's all I got to say if I'm a Red Sox fan. All right, uh, Jacob DeGrom. This was a little bit of a surprising one. Five years, $185 million to the Rangers. Rangers, they definitely need pitching help. They were one of the worst pitching staffs in terms of starting rotation in the league last year. But he's also a tough cookie. He's a tough, I I mean, Jacob DeGrom, he's a great pitcher. uh, Probably the best pitcher in terms of pure talent, pure stuff that I've ever seen as, you know, in my generation, the best pitcher I've ever seen, I think. Uh, Just completely dominant. He's the only guy that I can think of that every time he goes up there, he makes a good hitters look silly at what he's doing. I mean, he just looks so much better at what he's doing than the hitters that are doing, uh, you know, the opposite of what he's doing. He's so... So good at pitching. But the thing is, Jacob DeGrom, you're also bringing on a lot of injury history. And five years, $185 million, I don't know if I would have dipped that far uh, for a guy that's had a really bad injury history. Uh, he has not pitched very much in the last few years. I, I'm going to blow a couple people's minds here, but him and Clayton Kershaw are the same age. Now, you'd think that Clayton Kershaw was a lot older, I would assume. You're nodding your head. Yes, absolutely. I would agree. I thought the same thing. But I think it's partially because we've seen Clayton Kershaw so much and pitch so much. He's been very reliable in terms of his his availability when it comes to uh, throughout the season playoffs and such. Uh, whereas Jacob Degrom, it feels like we haven't seen him very much of him, especially over the last few years. He's dealing with injuries, and you know, no fault of his own for the most part, I would say. But that's a tough thing tough thing to dish out five years, one hundred eighty five million dollars for. You know, I don't know if I would do that if the Rangers. Now, granted, immediate number one if he's healthy. Immediate number one, you don't have to worry about filling in an ace. No matter who you pick up, uh, they could put some people behind him. That would be fantastic. And then, lo and behold, you have a decent team if you're the Texas Rangers because uh, their offense isn't terrible. They probably need another couple extra bats in there, a couple, you know, one or two extra bats in there. Solid bats, not, you know, stars or anything like that. Uh, but if you get a couple extra bats in there, then maybe, maybe you got a chance at a wild card run or something like that. I don't think they're pushing the Astros for the division anytime soon, but we'll see. I mean, again, immediate ace that you're slotting in if you're the Texas Rangers. So, I mean, at the very least, it's going to sell jerseys. People are going to be walking around with their Grom jerseys in Texas like it's going out of style. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, Brandon Nimmo, the Cheyenne kid, our Cheyenne friend, our Wyoming aunt of baseball. Brandon Nimmo, the center fielder for the Mets. For, I mean, not center fielder, the outfielder for the Mets for a long time in the past, uh, the past few years. He's going back to the Mets. Love the Mets, baby. Going back to the Mets. Eight years, $162 million. Shout out Brandon Nimmo. Big props to him. Congrats. Getting that payday. We'd love to see it. 
going back to the Mets that, you know what? He fits everything they need. I don't necessarily uh, hate this deal. It's maybe a little bit of an overpay, but he fits everything they need. They need a, a good defensive outfielder and they need a leadoff man. Brandon Nimmo can do that for them. And he has done that for them in the last few years. So he's going back to the Mets eight years, $162 million. Shout out Brandon Nimmo. Congrats to him. Get that payday, son. We love Brandon Nimmo. Everybody loved Brandon Nimmo. Wyoming legend, Wyoming kid. We should love to see him make that quiche. Uh, finally, uh, the one, the other notable one here that I got here, Justin Verlander, he's also going to the Mets. Two years, uh, $72 million. Uh, that's a great signing for the Mets, in my opinion, if they can keep him healthy. He's 40 years old, if you can believe that. Oh, my God. He just won the Cy Young as well, coming off a fantastic Cy Young season at 40 years old. Um, he's uh, still a very solid, uh, clearly still a very good pitcher. Got a fantastic curveball. We'll see what he can do with the Mets. Part of me wonders if maybe some of that has to do with the crazy stuff that the Astros pitching uh, pitching coaches can do with basically any arm. They can turn them into diamonds. They're very good pitching uh, pitch coach pitching coach staff, I guess is what you want to say. Um, so we'll see what the Mets can do with him. I still think he's a very solid signing. We'll see. You know, if the fastball starts dropping off, then this then this uh, contract can spiral out of control very quickly. Because you know, if he's if his curveball starts hanging, his fastball starts dropping off a lot, starts missing and stuff like that, and he gets you know he's only getting older, especially at this age, is going to happen very quickly. Then um, you know we'll see how long it lasts. But I think it's still a very good signing. I mean that 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 immediately makes your rotation better as well if you're the Mets. So uh, good for the Mets. They assigned a couple other people. Very good offseason for the Mets as well. Um, and, a, and a bunch of these other guys. I mean, the Yankees got the only job that they really needed to do. They got it done, getting Aaron Judge. Philly is having a, a pretty loud uh, offseason as well, getting Trey Turner. Padres, surprise dip with Xander. Um, but, you know, immediately a good bat to have in that lineup. The DeGrom with the Rangers, that's really their only big move that they made. And then the Mets with Nimmo and, and uh, Verlander as well. Still a couple of names that are still available as well. A couple shortstops. Uh, the middle infield is missing some players that uh, can immediately help teams. Carlos Correa still out there looking for a team. Dansby Swan- Swanson, the shortstop for the Braves for a long time, still looking for a team. And Carlos Rodon, the pitcher for the Giants, um, as well as the White Sox, probably more famously for the White Sox, uh, is still looking for a team as well. So still names to be filled out. Still names to go find teams looking for teams. And uh, we'll see what happens. I, mean, I could feel spring in the and I can't. It's a blizzard outside. I can't feel spring in the air. But the winter for baseball is getting more and more exciting. I feel like the winter for baseball, winter and free agency for baseball is getting more exciting year in and year out. It's it's starting to turn more like uh, NBA free agency every year, which is good to see. Uh, I, I enjoy watching new names and new places in the MLB. It feels like I see a new name in a new place that I didn't even think about every time, every season uh, comes spring training. So that's fun to see. And good for Brandon Nimmo. Shout out Brandon Nimmo again. Wyoming kid, get that money, son. Get that money, kid. All right, that is going to wrap up the show this week. Thank you very much for tuning in. I apologize again for missing last week. Uh, quick heads up. Quick heads up. I know I'm I'm being I'm being tardy here, and I apologize for this. I'm going to be a little late. I'm going to be late next week. The show is not going to be here on Tuesday. Okay, I apologize for that. It's not going to be here on Tuesday afternoon. I am going away. I'm going to be out of town for friday through tuesday i'm gonna be in arkansas at a wedding so uh the the show will not be around on tuesday but i will be back on wednesday the show will be posted on wednesday afternoon instead of tuesday afternoon maybe a little bit too late in the week for a weekend sports wrap podcast but you know we'll figure out what we're gonna do i mean that's kind of what we do every week we're gonna figure out what we're gonna do maybe previews or something i don't know we'll figure it out okay but for now i want to thank you very much for tuning in remember to uh hit the follow button hit the rate button 
big likes, big subscribes. I appreciate you all. Thanks for sticking around with me. I've been your host, James Timberlake, and this has been the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast.